nicely done. It illustrates well what we're talking about today. How the church is a family, it is a body, it is a communion and a fellowship. And when it comes together, wonderful things can happen. Because that's the way the Lord has called us together. We've been working through, as you know, the Apostles' Creed because it's really important for those of us who say that we are followers of Jesus Christ to know why we believe what we believe. So often, things like the Apostles' Creed just roll off of our tongue on Sunday morning and we say these words and they sound good and they sound familiar and they might even be comforting to us, but there's so much, as we've discovered, within each one. And today we're talking about the communion of saints. This is one of those phrases that is perhaps uh, one of the most easily confused phrases in the Apostles' Creed for most Christians. When we think about saints, you know, maybe you think about iconography, and some person with this halo around their head, and you think, well, gee, they're way more holy than I am, because uh, they ended up on stained glass or painted somewhere. You know, something like that, and I'm not really a saint. Or maybe we think that saints are the people who have died in Christ that have gone before. Or maybe we think that saints are the people that the church has decided did really wonderful contributions and they get canonized as a saint and, and remembered for, you know, how awesome their lives were and what their contributions were. Uh, a saint is simply one who is holy, not through our own merit but through the merits, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, you, if you are born again, are a saint. How's that sound? Saint Bob. Well, maybe I went too far. No, no. <laughs> and there are saints that are here, and there are saints... And the communion of saints refers to that fellowship of those that have found salvation in Jesus Christ. Whether we are here, as we like to call it, the church militant, or there, the church triumphant. So this word communion in the Greek comes from koinonia. Have you heard that word before? Okay, some of you have, some of you haven't. And it, that same word is used when we see things in, in Scripture for those who have come together with a purpose. Those that have a common cause. Those that submit their own desires to the common mission. That word koinonia also is the same word that talks about the way a husband and wife mutually submit to one another. So let's take a quick look at Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to pull it out and turn there. And we're going to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. This is after the day of Pentecost. This is after the Holy Spirit has come and the birth of the church has happened. And people have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what God is asking the church to do. And... You know, churches often spend a lot of time on their vision and their mission statement and, you know, getting the long phrase and then maybe the t-shirt phrase that we can print when we get our BCC t-shirts and hats, you know. No, I'm kidding. 
But if you want to know what God's vision is of the church, here it is. Okay? This is what we aspire to. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. What a vision. Can you imagine if the church really looked like that? I, I think churches all over have different aspects of that. You know, it's, it's not all disunity. It's not all brokenness. But yet we are broken people that are being healed and restored by the Lord. And we come together and we aspire and we pray and we fail and we ask for forgiveness and we give grace to one another. It's pretty clear that there are no isolated Christians in the early church. Right? No, no Robinson Crusoes <laughs> out on their own doing their own thing. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ and we become part of that fellowship, we become part of one another. That's really important. We become part of the breaking of the bread and the prayers. We do these things together. We recognize the togetherness of being the body of Christ. All the believers were together and held everything in common. Koinos, that's the original root word for it. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone in need. They met together. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They had glad and sincere hearts Sometimes people point at this and say, communism is biblical, <laughs> right? This is not communism. This is not the teaching of Lenin and Marx. And here's the difference. This is not a mandate. It's a decision and a relationship, and it's only made possible by the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. It's out of love for one another that they mutually submitted to one another and that they shared what they had. You know, that mutual submission and sharing, it's not just writing a check. It's, it's sharing the gifts that God has given to each one of us, our talents, our spiritual gifts. It's also being willing to lay down, sometimes if there's conflict, our desire to be right, our right to get one over on the other person. And prove them wrong. Sometimes it's important to be able to, for the good of relationship in the church, to be able to ask forgiveness of one another and hold the peace of the body in high regard. There's another place we can look at to see some of this. Um, Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. If you're already in Acts 2, it's just a quick flip over. Turn a page or two. 
Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Probably the only time in church history that ever happened. (laughs) Right? No. (laughs) Of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had things in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. When we live the way that the Holy Spirit wants us to, in community, the power of God is able to be at work amongst us in amazing and powerful ways that will not happen if we are all chopped up and divided up into factions and opinions and votes and different breeds and brands and all of this, you know? If we allow sin to remain in our midst, if we allow sin to remain in our own hearts, if we harbor unforgiveness towards a brother or sister in the fellowship and in the family, that brokenness is not just our private brokenness. It affects the whole body. We have been made into a family. We are a family of believers that is so close that Paul calls it a body. Is that the way that we are at Brownsville Community Church? Do we manifest that reality? Are we really so close that we can be called a body? That when we know that one member of the body is broken or has fallen into sin or is hurting, that it affects us and that we're aware that we reach out to them and with love and grace try to lift them out and up? Or do we say in our sort of New England individualism, well, that's their problem. (laughs) This is my pew. That is their pew. (laughs) Now, that's an overstatement, certainly. Uh, But I hope we see the, the point that it's really important that we understand that we're a community, that we are a body, And that what happens to one part of the body affects the rest of the body. And so if we are the communion of saints, and we are, with all of our warts and spots and challenges and interpersonal issues and all of that stuff, then we live not for ourselves but for Christ. And by living for Christ, we live for one another. We belong to one another. We rejoice with one another when wonderful things are happening Um, We care for one another when other people in the family are hurting and need care. We share these mutual obligations to one another. Is it easier sometimes to want to be a Robinson Crusoe Christian and, you know, live off on our own and not deal with the issues that we perceive are other people's issues? Which, by the way, quite often when I'm annoyed by something somebody else does, it's usually something that I'm doing too. (laughs) We have these mutual obligations to one another. We have fellowship in one another's gifts and graces. We have mutual concern for our own temporal well-being, but also you know, for our spiritual well-being. We have a common mission. We have a common destiny. And one day, we as a part of the church militant, the living, breathing church here, are going to be a part of the church triumphant that great 
cloud of witnesses. And we're going to look at that in Scripture in just a minute. Because if we think that it's really hard to live together as a family and a fellowship now, the reward of being there with the church triumphant and seeing King Jesus far outweighs any challenge, financial, political, denominational, any challenge interpersonal, any little squabble over pew cushions or whatever. I'm using that as an example. We haven't had one of those in a while. But <laughs> um, far outweighs any of that stuff. It's just, just phenomenal. Let's take a quick look at Hebrews. We looked at some verses in Hebrews today already. We're going to take a quick look at Hebrews chapter 11 into chapter 12. Um, <clears throat> now, I don't know if you recall, in chapter 11, it talks about all the, all the by faiths. I didn't mark it. I'm hunting for it. Here we are. All the people that lived by faith and uh, the things that they went through. And it's really not intended to scare us. It's intended to encourage us. Um, so Hebrews chapter 11. The very end of that chapter. Into the beginning of chapter 12. <clears throat> Talks about lots of different people in the Old Testament. That lived by faith. That did amazing things. Because they had faith. Chapter uh, 12, 11, verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So there's that whole big chapter, and then first verse in chapter 12, therefore, <laughs> that's a big therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's meant to be an encouragement. Believers are in communion with all of these saints here and all of those saints there, even with those above, because our union with Christ joins us all together in that way. Through union with Christ, believers know a communion with that glorified church in heaven. So Hebrews is telling us here, in the gathered congregation of the people of God, that we have communion with saints in glory and we're part of the same body. We're united to Christ, and they are united to Christ. And even though we're separated by this vast distance, and we don't know exactly what they're doing perhaps right at this very instant, although there are some really good indications in Scripture if we read it, um, we know that we are united in the same activity of worshiping God and praising and glorifying Him. We also know what they long. It tells us in Revelation, we know what their heart's desire is. And we pray that it is our heart's desire as well, if we believe and follow Jesus. 
in Revelation chapter 6, um, <clears throat> those who have been martyred are described by John. And he sees them under the altar as the Lamb breaks open the fifth seal. And he sees the, the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God, those who have been martyred. Okay? And <clears throat> they are crying out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, how long, Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and brethren who were killed, even as they had been, would complete it also. It is their desire that the consummation would come, that Jesus, the groom, and the bride of Christ would come together. That's Christ returning, that the judgment would come, that Christ would be glorified, <clears throat> where he brings everything together in Christ, in heaven and on earth. And we know that their desire is to be united and that it is our desire also to be united with them in Christ. So, because we are united in purpose, because we are united in worship and in goal, here's, here's where I'm going with this. When you come to the church visible, like here on Sunday morning, the mil church militant, the local church, to worship the living God, we have come to an outpost of heaven. Such as it is. Okay? A little taste of what is coming. A little foretaste of that new age breaking in. I think it was uh, two Sundays ago we sang the church's one foundation. There's a verse in there that says, Yet she on earth, it's us, hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. It's the communion of saints. We have relationship with the triune Godhead, and through that we have communion with the saints. <clears throat> How about that prayer on um, Christmas time that we, we say from the nine lessons and carols that I can hardly ever get through? Um, it says, all those who rejoice with us, but upon another shore and in a greater light, that multitude which no man can number, whose hope was in the word made flesh, and with whom in the Lord Jesus Christ we are one forevermore. We don't struggle alone. They did it. They walked through the trials that were in their path during that time. They carried the torch. They held forth the gospel. And the reason we have the faith that we do today is because somebody else was faithful to what God called them to do and to hand it on to us. And now it is our turn to be faithful, regardless of the cost, to hand it on to the next. Being a musician, uh, before I was a pastor, I also, I can't get away from hymns sometimes. And I, I think of the hymn for all the saints. Do you know that one? It's in our hymnals on page 711. If you want to look there, you can. Um, but it's taken straight out of scripture. O blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. Yet all are one in thee, for all are thine. Alleluia. One of the other verses says, And when the strife is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again. 
and arms are strong. What's that triumph song? That's the saints that have gone before us. And by their example, we're encouraged. We can do it. We can get through it with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit by following the vision that God has given to us in Holy Scripture for what the church is supposed to be, working towards being a little outpost of heaven. We can do it. From earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl stream in countless hosts, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What a day. What a day. Can you imagine? And then the last verse that isn't in our hymnal, but it should be. There breaks yet a more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise and bright away, bright array. The King of glory passes on his way. Let's not trade temporal strife, challenges, hardships, interpersonal relationships, or even church schisms for being able to be there and see the King of glory pass on his way. That day is coming. So take heart. So as we move forward as a church family, as a local expression of the body. It's critical that we remember when we say the communion of saints, we are not alone. We are part of the church here and now. We are a part of the fellowship of the saints gone before. We bear the torch that was carried by the church triumphant. We are called to the vision that we see in Acts chapter 2, not to be divided by a vote or fractions of opinions or whatever we have, but to be of one accord, discerning the voice of the Holy Spirit. Submitting our own opinions and our own personal needs to that which God has called us to, the fellowship of Jesus Christ, that he may be glorified, and that that vision of the bride of Christ may be completed in Jerusalem, in Rome, in Ukraine, in Kenya, in Peru, in England, West Windsor, Vermont. So may we grasp that vision of the church. May it sink so deeply into us that whatever may come, we hold on to that vision of that glorious day of the saints triumphant and the king of glory. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to have a glimpse into the future. The future that is also present, what will be future for us. Help us to live in such a way that we honor and worship you by submitting ourselves and our will to your will. Please mold us and shape us. Make us into the vision individually and as the fellowship of the body of Christ that you've set forth in Acts chapter 2. Speak to us by your spirit how that plays out in tangible and specific ways in our own lives and in our life as a church together. Help us to bear with one another, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. Help us to not waver on the truth, but keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith.
we would remain true and faithful, come what may. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.